Earlier today in Washington, D.C., another career politician said something really, really stupid. Officials are concerned that ignorance and stupidity has blatantly crossed party lines and unfortunately has made its way to those appointed by elected officials as well. You don't say. Now back to your regularly scheduled programming. You have just entered Liberty Lighthouse, where we cut through the fog with common sense logic. Coming to you from Pennsylvania, the state of independence. Here he is, U.S. Navy veteran, author of the book, Progress, Really? And your freedom-loving host, Peter Seraphine. Welcome to Liberty Lighthouse. I am the keeper of the Liberty Lighthouse, your beacon of common sense, your wiki, if you will, Peter Seraphine. I urge you to join this conversation by calling 64 My Rights, that's 646 974 4487, and go to liberty lighthouse.com, sign up to be a member. Now, let's start the show. Today is follow up episode to episode 8 about our broken federal budget system. And one of the first things I need to talk about is an omnibus bill. I needed to define that. An omnibus bill is when several bills are packaged together under one vote. The $1.4 trillion spending package that was just passed by both houses of Congress, with a veto-proof majority, I might add, were actually two separate omnibus bills, both of which passed with huge majorities, veto-proof majorities, meaning both Democrats and Republicans supported these two bills. And then President Trump basically had no choice but to sign them because, like I said, they were veto-proof bills. So, an omnibus is a collection of other bills all put together, usually in the same general topic, such as spending, but not necessarily. Uh, In this case, it was broken down into two slightly smaller omnibus bills. The two omnibus bills together were 2,313 pages. Now, that 2,313 pages were were unveiled for the House of Representatives on a Monday evening to be voted for on Tuesday. So the House of Representatives had maybe 24 hours to review 2,313 pages before voting. That seems a little ridiculous to me. To make it worse, once it passed the House and was turned over to the Senate, the Senate was given that same 2,313 pages and were given a little less than three days to review it before they voted on it. If that's not an example of a broken system, I'm not exactly sure what is. Anyway, one of the comments that we received here at the Liberty Lighthouse was from our uh, friend Eric Thompson. Eric Thompson, the owner of MagaBook.com and fellow podcaster. He said, Omnibus bills are a dereliction of duty. Allows the Congress to stuff it with excess spending without passing individual spending bills. And that's exactly what happened. With 2,313 pages and almost no time to review it, there is no time to argue it, debate it, see its pros and cons, and and negotiate the merits of the bill. With 2,313 pages and one day to review it, 
You're going to vote however your leadership tells you to vote or however your conscience tells you to vote. And I personally think everybody should have voted no just because they haven't had time to review it. Had that been broken up into the 12 individual bills that it should have been, each of those bills could have been debated. Each of those bills could have passed or failed based on that individual bill's merit. So, 2,313 pages, $1.4 trillion, all done in a matter of a few days. And done just in time to avoid another government shutdown. Now, if you think back, I said that our fiscal year starts on October 1st, which means spending bills should all be authorized by September 30th. Well, they weren't. So they did a continuing resolution. We can't do our jobs in the time allotted, so we need more time. We'll just keep spending what we're spending now. Continuing resolution. Then that continuing resolution had to be extended another week or two weeks or something like that. And it expired on 1220. The bill was signed into law on 1218. Two and a half months late. You would think, with an extra two and a half months to work on it, that maybe, just maybe, somebody could have thought, mm, let's cut spending so that we're not going into debt. But that would just be silly, because that's not how our government works anymore. Those two bills, that $1.4 trillion, adds another half a trillion dollars, $500 billion to our deficit. As of December 2nd, 2019, the official debt of the U.S. government is $23.1 trillion. That is $69,999 per individual living in the United States of America. My personal portion of the national debt is more than what I owe on my own house. And it's going up. My house, what I owe on my house is going down because I make extra payments. I pay above the minimum. Our federal debt continues to go up because our government continues to spend more than we have. And they only make interest payments on this debt. Our elected officials can't pass a bill on time. Then when they do pass it, they can't do it within the confines of how much money we have. They are a complete and utter failure. The budget process in Washington is completely broken. Have you ever watched the news when another country is going bankrupt? Greece, for example. Greece was going bankrupt not too long ago, and the countries that held their debt put Greece on what the austerity measures. The countries holding the debt made Greece raise taxes on its citizens so that they could pay back the debt. Is that what we want in our country? Do we want China to own us and to force the federal government to raise our taxes even higher just to pay the debt 
that our elected officials continue to pile on showing their incompetence as elected officials? If our country suffers an economic downturn and can't make the interest payment of a half a trillion dollars to China and whoever else owns our debt, then they can call in the chips. They can set the rules. They can make our federal government do what they want them to do in order to get their money back. So what's our government do when it has this $23 trillion debt? It passes spending bills, putting us another half a trillion dollars in debt, giving $25 million for a gun study that's already being done by another government agency, giving money to allow the Export-Import Bank to continue, and continuing tax credits for businesses tax credits for breweries and car makers that install solar panels. You know what? Solar panels save you money, if you can get them cheap enough, and that's a wonderful thing. It should be a business decision to buy them when it makes fiscal sense for your company. Another example, President Obama had intended on forcing everybody to buy LED light bulbs. Now, LED light bulbs are a lot more expensive than standard incandescent light bulbs, but they use a lot less electricity. I like LED bulbs. Every light bulb in my house is an LED bulb. That's how I keep my electric bill like $30 a month. It made fiscal sense for me, but that doesn't mean that it makes fiscal sense for everyone. And to force everyone to buy LED bulbs is just a tyrannical move. The Import-Export Bank helps companies that want to do more business overseas. If they can't get a loan from their own personal business bank, they go to the Federal Import-Export Bank, which is a agency of the government, a company completely owned by our government. If a company can't get a loan from his own business banker because he's having trouble showing the return on investment, then why should our government absorb the risk of that return on investment and issue loans with our tax money? Washington just keeps spending and keeps spending even though we can't afford it anymore. Okay, enough about that for just a minute. Let's talk about the drinking age versus tobacco use age. In the big omnibus bills that just passed, as of January, you have to be 21 years old to buy tobacco products. I don't understand how or why that is the federal government's jurisdiction. It wasn't the federal government's jurisdiction when President Ronald Reagan wanted to raise the age for alcohol. President Ronald Reagan realized that it wasn't the federal government's jurisdiction and therefore extorted the states to raise it or risk losing a portion of their federal highway monies. The current legislature didn't even bother to, to extort the states. The current legislature just said, meh, we're going to do it. It's 21 now. I'm not arguing whether or not it's a good idea to have a 21 age limit for tobacco purchases. 
I am merely arguing that I don't think it is the federal government's job. I think that is a law that should be done state by state. Another part to this argument is raising the age to 21 probably isn't going to do anything to keep young people from smoking. I started smoking when I was 15 years old. The age then was 18 in my state, but I still started at 15 and I didn't care. 15-year-olds drink now too. In the legal age to drink alcohol is 21, but they're still doing it at 15 and 16. So what is the point of raising the age to 21 and stomping all over states' rights in the process? And what does that have to do with the spending bill that it was attached to? Absolutely nothing. So now that we're back to that spending part, let's talk about the debt again. If you go to buy a house or car, one of the things that the bank looks at is your debt-to-income ratio. Typically, they don't want your housing expense, for example, including all of the utilities and your mortgage and insurance to be more than 50% of your income. Do you know what the debt in America is? The, the federal deficit compared to the gross domestic product, which is you know, the best thing we have to income for our federal government? 106%. To put that in more reasonable terms, that's like saying if you earn $70,000 a year, but you spent $74,200 a year, every year, it doesn't work, right? Eventually, you run out of credit. But, like we said in the, in the episode last week, Congress never runs out of credit. Because Congress, 74 times now, has raised its own credit limit. The path that we are on regarding our federal debt is not sustainable. We will be taken over by our debtors and austerity measures will be forced upon us, and our taxes will go up so high that we won't be able to live anymore. I don't understand this at all. We have had the largest economy in the world for 148 consecutive years. How is it that we owe money to other countries? Why don't they owe us money because we have the largest economy in the world. It doesn't make any sense other than the people that, that we keep putting in Washington don't care and keep spending our money, our children's money, our grandchildren's money, and our great-grandchildren's money just because they can. We the people need to take back our government. We, the people, need to show our elected officials that this is unacceptable behavior and vote them out when they do it and only vote in people who at least attempt to balance our budget. That sounds like a good place to stop. So, let's talk about next week. Next week, we're going to have uh, an episode about how our entire political system is moving to the left. Our Democratic Party has moved to the left and become socialists. 
our Republican Party has moved to the left and landed where the Democrats used to be. And where does that leave conservative people with fiscal restraint and responsibility in our minds? Where do we fall in the political world nowadays? So, that's what you can look forward to next week. Call me with your questions, comments, and concerns at 64MyRights. And until next week, protect your liberties. Once they're gone, there's no getting them back. God bless America. Thank you for listening to the Liberty Lighthouse podcast. Be sure to sign up at liberty-lighthouse.com to download my free ebook from the file shares page. Don't forget, call 64 My Rights with your questions, comments, and concerns for the show. That's 646-974-4487. If you enjoyed this podcast, please tell a friend about the Liberty Lighthouse. Whatever platform you're listening from, subscribe, rate, leave a review. It's very much appreciated. Thank you.